Okay, here we go. Now put it in reverse. Got it. Now forward. Okay. Reverse. Now turn the wheel. Alright. Turn the wheel! No! Reverse! Reverse! Slow the out! Don't kill it! Kill it! Kill the owner! There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. I said reverse! Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Well, we're dock now. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome to the NBA Front Office Show. I am your host, Keith Smith. I'm joined by our producer, Connor Rell, and our co-host, Pete Toll. We are back with the Front Office Show. So excited to be back. We are under the umbrella of CLNS Media now, and they are going to be taking care of us and getting us ready and delivering content to you. Our goal is to be back with you on a weekly basis and delivering everything you know from the Front Office Show if you are a former listener. And if you're a new listener, what we like to do is we get deep into the transactions, signings, trades, waivers, two-way contracts, G League call-ups, all those kind of things. That's what we talk here on the front office show. We are so excited to be back and talking all this stuff. And we even have a couple of recent trades, so we want to thank the, the teams for that to give us a little content here in our relaunch show. But let's bring in the guys. Con, how are you this morning? I'm doing great. I love the energy and the and the loud intro, Keith. It's wake, <laughs> waking me up this morning. Um, no, I'm super excited to be back uh, and getting a rhythm going with this show, which uh, we kind of couldn't get last season, but I'm excited to get it this season. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think we did the right thing by stepping away for a little bit and resetting, deciding what we want out of the show and finding great partners in CLNS. So I'm, I'm really excited to get going. And with that, we'll bring in our co-host, Pete Toll. Pete, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great, Keith. I'm I'm glad to actually get back to the pod because now I don't have to go back and forth with everybody just on Twitter, and now I can actually explain myself in in more detail and um, kind of defend my 76ers uh, just a little bit more. There it is. Yeah. So we are gonna have a um, pretty consistent format in each show. What we'll do is just for all those listening, is we'll start it off with any news. That news is generally gonna be around transaction related things. So again, trades, signings, two ways, ten day call ups, any of those types of things. Then we'll get into some injury updates as well, and then we're gonna do what we like to call division of the week. So we will talk all five teams and. In each division um they were in a division each week and what we'll do with that is we're going to start that off with the atlantic division this week so uh pete 
is a 76ers guy. I am a Celtics guy, and we're going to drag Khan along with us because <laughs> he, he's a Bulls guy. And I think after the beating they took from the Celtics last night, their their season's just about done in Chicago, and we're not even at Christmas. So we'll um, you know, f- figure that out. And then what we're going to do from there is we're going to go into listener questions. Uh, we, we don't have any this week as it's a relaunch show, but we'll talk about what our goals are for that when we get to that section. And then a closing thought from each of us. So you'll get to hear from from each us each of us something about something we're looking forward to coming up in the NBA season um, over the next week, things like that. So so it should be a really exciting show. And as I said at the top, we want to thank the Cleveland Cavaliers, Milwaukee Bucks, and Washington Wizards for making a trade this week and giving us some fresh content to talk about. So let's let's get into that here. That's going to be our first thing. So the particulars on the trade, Cleveland acquires Matthew Della Vadova, John Henson, a protected 2021 Milwaukee first-round pick, a 2021 Milwaukee second-round pick, and a Washington Wizards 2022 second-round pick. So Cleveland t- taking on a little bit of money there in exchange for some draft picks. And then the Bucks acquired George Hill from the Cavaliers, Jason Smith from the Washington Wizards. They got cash from the Wizards in part to help cover Smith's salary. And then the Wizards actually removed the protections on a 2020 second round pick that was owed to the Bucks. And the Bucks also picked up the Wizards' 2021 second-round pick that was actually from Cleveland. It had been previously traded to Utah, then to Cleveland, and now on to Milwaukee. And then the Washington Wizards picked up Sam Decker in this trade. So, Pete, I'm going to go to you first on this. Do you like this trade for any of the teams, none of the teams, all of the teams? Or what are your you know, thoughts off the top for each of the teams in this big three-team trade? Uh, I would say I like it for all three for various reasons. Um, for the Bucks, it obviously gives them a major upgrade at the backup point guard spot with George Hill there. Um, as long as Hill can stay healthy, it's an upgrade over DiVincenzo. Um, and, of course, Della Vidova, who they moved out. Um, you know, kind of being under Budenholzer in San Antonio previously, um, you know, perfect backup there. Um I think now Thon Maker will get more consistent playing time. You know, he's kind of played sporadic, but he gives him that stretch center. Um, you know, not the strongest inside or, or defensively, but can really stretch the floor in um, Budenholzer's system. For the Cavs, um, obviously they needed to get Colin Sexton the most playing time possible, um, especially if you're going to kind of, you know, tank the season away, so to speak. Um, Delavidova is not going to take a huge bunch of minutes there because – now Jordan Clarkson will essentially switch to uh, from more shooting guard minutes to now probably playing more of the combo role with a lot of backup point guard minutes, I would guess. Um, Henson's injured, but he is a good two-way center, uh, so we'll see what develops there. Of course, the draft picks um, you know, are the major haul there for, for um, the Cavs. And then the Wizards, surprisingly, not a lot of people are talking about um, with uh, Sam Decker – even though you know he struggled throughout his career, it gives him another stretch four option because now they play Markeith Morris and Jeff Green kind of a little bit at center. So if he can get healthy, maybe he'll see a little bit of time there. Um, but I think a lot more moves are coming for Washington, who have not looked great. But I know we're going to talk about um, you know them a little bit more. But we'll we'll see uh, what happens. But I like it for all three. All right, and Com, what about you on the three teams? Is it do you think this is a solid move all around, like Pete does, or is there somebody you're like, eh, I don't really like it as much for them? Yeah, well, I mean, 
one thing about all trades is I try to see why each team did it and what they're gaining. And for this one, I can easily discuss and say what each team is gaining and what they might have been thinking. One thing I like about this trade is Cleveland Cavaliers being one of the first teams to actually admit that they're not going to be a free agency player next year, um, yep. even though there are many teams that aren't so great that still... I mean, even the even the Hawks, I don't think they want to take on a lot of bad salary, um, but maybe they should have been doing something like this too. Um, I really like Delhi back to the Cavs. Uh, that's just fun for a lot of reasons. Um, and they just got the picks. They only took on about $20 million in salary next year, which they don't really have use for anyway. Um, so it's great, great move for the Cavs. I think uh, they can slot Delhi back into the backup point guard role. John Henson, they, he's been playing pretty well um, for the Bucks this this year. And I mean, going over to the Bucks side, I think that's a slightly tough loss for them because um, he was playing better. But I think they want to empower Thon a little bit more um, and see how he can play. And Ursan has been providing them good minutes as well. So Henson was just money that they didn't want on the books next year. Um, and so was Delhi. And they also got a starting caliber point guard in George Hill that will back up uh, Eric Bledsoe, who's been playing really well, so they really solidified that rotation um, instead of trying to piecemeal Delhi and Dante and uh, whoever else, and like Brogdon at the one. Now they have a legit backup too. Um, and then the Wizards, I, I love this the flyer on Decker. I thought I kind of liked the flyer on Decker for the Bucks too. I didn't um, because that was the first reported. Jason Smith kind of came in after um, in the news, uh, but the Bucks didn't want to have to pay Sam Decker. Uh, Jason Smith is five and a half million expiring for next year. So all around, I think it was great. Uh, Jason Smith wasn't doing much for the Wizards anyway. So it's just, hey, let's take a flyer on this young guy. Um, hard to find a three-team deal where I like it for every team, but they they pulled it off. <laughs> yeah, so we're, we're all on the same page here because, you know, I'll, I'll kind of talk it in reverse. For, for the Wizards, it, it was as much as it's nice to get a flyer on Sam Decker, that's not what this is about. It doesn't matter if Decker does anything for them or not. This was about cutting $2.7 million off their payroll and saving about $5 million in tax hit yep. um, with this because Decker's about $2.7 million and Smith's about $5.5 million or so. So so that was the the big move there was let's 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 you know cut our tax bill down. And Washington is now within range. They are sitting as it stands today about $6.5 million over the tax tax line which for the wizards they make another big trade i know pete kind of alluded to it before they make a trade where they send out beal or porter or wall and they take back significantly less money in a trade like that all of a sudden they might not even be a tax team which is would be you know pretty huge for them uh going into the offseason so i think that is uh you know something to keep in mind there and then if they get anything out of decker that's great you know, and they, 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 and if they do start selling guys off, if they, you know, trade Porter or something like that, maybe Decker does get a chance to be that kind of combo forward three, four, and really see what he does on the floor for them. For the Cavaliers, this was the Kanye hit it right on the head. This was selling 2019 cap space early. And I like what you brought up with the Hawks because the Hawks could have done something like this with a guy like Jeremy Lin. Uh, you know, the Bucs were obviously in the market for a backup point guard. We'll I'll talk about them in just a minute. And they could have done something like this with, with Lin. So what you end up looking at here for the Cavaliers is they're they're really saying, you know what, we're, we're not going to be a free agent player. This is not where we are. Uh, they they realize that kind of early on when you fire Ty Lue, 
very early in the season and basically said, hey, we want to go with the youth movement. Well, you don't really have a lot of youth on the team outside of Colin Sexton. Even uh, Chetty Osman and Larry Nance, they're they're a little older um, for their years of experience in the NBA. But now I think what they're doing is they're doing the right thing. It's let's pick up some assets in terms of draft picks. Um, I like the fact that, that the Milwaukee pick comes a little rolled down the line because they still have to settle a pick they owe to the Phoenix Suns from last year's Bledsoe trade. So who knows what the Bucks will be by the time that pick delivers. And then the Cavaliers are going to sit there, and it, it's exactly what you guys said. It's it's going to be all Colin Sexton all the time and give give him a bunch of minutes. And then Delvadova, we'll see. The other important thing is the Cavs made this trade early enough that now these guys can be aggregated before the trade deadline. That was a big push in making the trade when they made it. They needed to get it done by the uh, 7th to get it in so that then it can be aggregated. Again, is it going out salary because you got to wait 60 days for that? Now that'll hit just right at the trade deadline. So it wouldn't surprise me if guys like Delvadova or Henson don't necessarily finish the year Henson's going to be out for for a while yet um probably you know well until we're right around the trade deadline maybe even after as he's uh battling a wrist injury and then you know Delavidova will give him a few minutes a game behind Sexton you know maybe even play a little bit beside him as Hill was and then as for Hill to the box I love it there because they really had no backup point guard because Delavidova was almost completely out of the rotation and that left it being one of their early subs. Every game was Malcolm Brogdon. Then he would come back on late in the first quarter to give Bledsoe a break. And they that was kind of how they were were fumbling around it there. Um, I know a lot of people say, well, Giannis is the point guard. He, he's not. He doesn't defend point guards. He, you know, it's people need to start differentiating between high usage ball handlers and point guards because there's a very, very big difference. And a lot of people just make them one and the same, and that's not really how it works. So so Hill will come in. He's going to stabilize that spot. He can also play off the ball quite well. He should fit in really, really good there. And, of course, they cleared $20 million, almost $20 million, $19 million off their 2019 salary obligations by getting rid of Della Vadova and Henson and taking on Hill's guaranteed $1 million. So I really like that as well. I now project the Bucks to be a cap spin team in the summer of 2019 hanging on to the cap hold for Chris Middleton as well as Brogdon as a restricted free agent and then letting everything else go and seeing what they can do because if you're you know banking on bringing Middleton back and then you've got Giannis and you make a nice run here all of a sudden the Bucks are a contender in free agency so so we talked a little bit about Hill what he can do for Milwaukee um Con, I want to go to you first. Cavs post-trade, what would you be doing if you're at Cleveland? What, what are your goals here for the rest of the way? Well, a lot of the same, I would say. Uh, try to bundle up some more. I mean, Alec Burks, they just got him, but he's an $11 million expiring deal as well. That might be useful um, to another team. I don't think he was the reason they did the trade. It was mostly to get those second-round picks uh, for Korver. So I wouldn't be surprised if, Alec Burks stays on the market, especially now he has a chance to showcase himself. Um, that's something I would look at. Uh, J.R. Smith, he only has how much guaranteed? 3.8. Uh, 3.8 guaranteed. So 
Um, I think that's a piece that maybe a contender might want. Uh, I mean, he has that championship experience. He is a veteran, and I think he still has some game left in him in the right situation. Uh, so I think those two pieces are what I would keep my eye on. And like you said, the aggregation of Henson and Delavadova, maybe they can get something. I just don't see a lot of teams wanting um, the, their salaries for next year. So I, I think that would be a little bit tougher to move. Pete, can the can the Cavs find a trade for Kevin Love or Tristan Thompson? Is there there anything out there that you think they could do? Mm, it's going to be hard because now Kevin Love is going to have to come back and and show that he's healthy. Tristan's up and down. That's the thing with him. Like um, I believe the last game, you know, he didn't rebound well, and that's the thing. Like there's some games where he's really dominant. You're like, okay, he's the surefire starter. And then there's other games. It's like, how did this guy even get you know as good of his contract as he did um looking around the league i think you'll get more for kevin love if that's the direction they really want to go um but you know he's gonna have to show that he's fully healthy i think he's coming back they said like mid-january um if i remember reading correctly the last time um i don't know i don't to be honest even though like kevin love is the franchise you've got to give you know the you know the cleveland fan base you know something um, for this season, like if if you get rid of Kevin Love for you know scraps on the dollar, I, I don't know that you know they're going to be even able to get anybody in to to see that the version of the team that they have that that's tanking. I mean that's not necessarily um, something long term, you know that they're they're thinking about. I think as far as like the the fan base coming this year, I think they're trying to build you know rebuild for the future. But at the same time, I don't know. I I would personally keep Kevin Love. For this year and try to move him you know in the offseason even on draft night if you can um just to kind of rebuild his his value a little bit yeah it definitely becomes easier to move him at the draft it's he's on a pretty big number you know 24 million this year and then uh up to 28 million and then 30 million 30 million and then back down to 28 in the final year of his contract in the 2022-23 season so it's easy. He's just had a number that's easier to move in the offseason. Thompson's at 17.5 this year, 18.5 next year. I I think he could help a number of teams as a defense rebounding big. The challenge becomes is who, who needs that right now. And then with Love, Love has to do it as far as being a um, scoring big out there and again you start to look at it and who who could who needs that today i think in a way it actually works in cleveland's benefit that he's out for a little while longer and they're not going to move him right now because i think what they do then is they're going to look at it and say hey by the time he gets back we'll have a whole you know unfortunately a whole new fresh set of injuries you'll have uh, these teams that are playing much better than expected, and maybe one of them talks themselves into, hey, you know, we're Kevin Love away from from making a real run at this thing and going out there and getting it done. And and you've got a number of teams that cap space isn't necessarily a goal for them, so maybe they're looking at, at it that way. So I, I think I don't think the Cavs are done by any means. I think we're going to see you know continued roster movement. I think Kobe Altman's doing the right thing here as they're looking to continue to move guys and 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 move out uh these these veterans that they don't need for either young players or bad salary in addition to picking up some more draft picks i think it's the right move by by cleveland it's it's tough for their fans to take but but they've got to they you got to do something it's you know they they played the warriors 
earlier this week and it was like such a letdown to tune into that game after watching those two battle you know in the finals and be like oh god this is what the Cavs have become um we we you know kind of danced around it they made another trade uh, a little earlier this season Kyle Korver for Alec Burks and two second round picks Con you hit it right on the head it's really not about Burks it's about those two second round picks is what they wanted to get but Pete I know we were talking a little bit off air about Alec Burks in Cleveland he's He's a guy that I think if you're a fantasy basketball guy, go get this guy because he's going to play a ton. He's going to score a bunch of points. It might not might not be the most efficient, but I think that's what you're really looking for. Is that what you're looking to see out of Burks as long as he's in Cleveland? Yeah, he's a slasher through and through, so he's going to bully his way to the to the rim. Um, he's up to 3.8 attempts um, on free throws. Now his minutes have doubled. He went from about 16 minutes a game to uh, 29 minutes a game now. Um, but you know, he's averaging 14.4 points a game as well. And I think it's kind of, you know, looking at Cleveland side of things, I think they wanted to do well by Kyle Corver, but at the same time, obviously move him because he's a vet that they don't really need. Um, and I know we're going to talk about him with more with Utah, but I think with Alec Burks, Con, you hit it on the head earlier. He's a guy that they don't need that they could potentially re, you know, remove or move again, um, in a trade. Um, you know, if, if they decide that, you know, that's the direction they want to go because teams are going to look for, you know, an, uh, not an elite score, but an above average score off the bench um, that Burks is able to show. Yeah, you know, I, I think, think that's a that's a really good point on Burks is he could help a team. He's been one of those guys. He's just never been healthy. Right. He's always hurt while he was in Utah. So flipping it over to the Utah side, Kyle Korver comes in and, and he's going to do what Kyle Korver does. He's going to run around, make a ton of three-pointers, and really help you space the floor. I think that's exactly what the Jazz were looking for. I think in a lot of ways that's what the Jazz needed on their second unit. They just didn't have any form of shooting on that second unit that was you know sustainable or uh reliable and i think you know that really helps they you know for the jazz i think this kind of showed that you know maybe they're looking at it and kind of you know admitting that they're not a free agent market so eating the guaranteed money for corver next year even though burks was a is a free agent you took on a little bit of money in 2019 20 um with Corver's guarantee, but I think it's one of those things where the Jazz, rightly so, look at it and say, you know, we're not really a giant free agent market. You know, one of these max guys, we're not going to be in the mix for Kevin Durant or anybody like that. So I think eating a little bit of money for them in a future year is the right move. Con, you think you agree with that? No, yeah, for sure. I mean, the Jazz, they don't need as much ball handling and as much ISO scoring, like, the, the, the things that Alec Burks provides them with, and they need someone who can just slide right in. Um, and just their cap space. I mean, they they had they probably weren't going to sign Alec Burks anyway. They need a veteran presence. They have playoff aspirations. So I don't think Corver's seven million is going to be too much of a hindrance um, for them moving forward. Um, so I think they just preferred that plug and playability over. Uh, that seven million in cap space, and I still—I mean—they still have the flexibility, even with Corver's contract next year, um, to make the move. But if they don't want Corver and he doesn't fit in, then they can either stretch that 3.4 million guaranteed he has next year uh, over three years, or just keep that on the books and still have a solid amount of room next year to use. And Derek Favors comes into play too. It's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. 
Yeah, you know, in Utah sending out a couple of second round picks was not a big deal because they've got a bunch of extra second rounders coming up. They've, they've got an extra one coming from the Spurs. They've got uh, a swap with Cleveland potentially down the line. So <clears throat> Utah is fine in terms of second round picks. That's one thing to go back to the first trade we talked about with the Washington Wizards. They are not fine with second round picks. They don't <laughs> yeah, have they any have none, for yeah. the next four years. They 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 now owe the 2019 to Atlanta. Um, well, I, yeah, I guess to to Charlotte rather. Now they could get it could get Atlanta's pick if Atlanta rallies all the way back and finishes with one of the best five records in the NBA. The Wizards could get that pick, but the chances of that happening are the chances of good luck. Losing 100 pounds in the next week. So that's not going to happen. Then Washington owes their 2020 to Milwaukee, their 2021 to Milwaukee, and then their 2022 to Cleveland. So, you know, good. after the first round, you can check out if you're a Wizards fan and go to bed early because they are not going to have any picks in, in the next uh, four years in the NBA draft. All right. Um, we had not talked about it because we were on our hiatus. So let's get into the big monster trade from earlier this season jimmy butler traded from the minnesota timberwolves to the philadelphia 76ers it ended up being jimmy butler and justin Patton for robert covington and dario Sharch. and this is a this was you know one that kind of came out of nowhere outside as far as who we knew butler wanted to be traded we knew he made a mess of everything in minnesota as best he could and then he went off to philadelphia so pete i want to give you the first the floor here to really kind of respond first because you are the Philadelphia 76ers guy on our little team here. What do you think of this trade? Do you like it for Philly? Do you like it for Minnesota? Do you like it for neither one of them or both of them? How are you feeling about the Butler trade? Um, Well, let me start with my initial reaction to it. I was like, wow, we got Jimmy Butler. Uh, Let's see how, how this fits, you know, cause I was, I was a little sad that we've lost um, Sarich, you know, just for the, you know, more for the long-term potential. I wasn't really worried as much as about Robert Covington. Um, on the Sixers side of things now, now I'm still worried because even though Jimmy Butler's out there, you know, really giving a defensive effort, gives them a, a good um, fourth quarter closer, so to speak, um, kind of going away from the stagnant um, play that, you know, basically Joe Embiid would pump fake at the three-point line, drive in, kind of do a spin, you know, you know, go that route, or he would go into a post up and try to rush the ball. A lot of, a lot of the time, turning it over in the fourth quarter um, last year, and some going into this year, just because I think he tried to put the team on his back. So now Butler's able to give you that guy that can give you reassurance at the end of games. But with that said, um, I'm a little bit worried because now you're adding in a guy in um, in Jimmy Butler that's obviously taking, you know, more touches away, kind of. Um, spacing in the offense from Joel Embiid, um, who's used to getting the ball in the post, which he just mentioned that, hey, he's frustrated with the way he's being utilized right now because he is spotting more at the three-point line and, and kind of creating from from there instead of on the block. Um, and then with Ben Simmons as well, um, he's not a shooter, obviously. So Jimmy Butler's you know not a great three-point shooter either. So then you're really relying on J.J. Redick to be your perimeter threat. And Redick's numbers you know, from the three-point line have been down this year, even though his points per game have gone up um, considerably. So I don't know. I'm a little bit worried how this is going to fit as a long-term, especially if they sign Jimmy Butler to you know, in the offseason and really you know, stick him with this core. 
just wonder how that's going to go. Um, you know, from the Minnesota side, I know we'll we'll talk about it in a second, but just right now, you know, where Jimmy Butler is, I know we're we're you know taking an All Star on. I just wonder where that long term is going to fit with with the core they have. You know, the Joel Embiid uh, recent comments, and we should have said this off the top, we're recording this Sunday morning, December 9th. This is Sunday mornings is going to be our regular recording time. So recently Embiid came out, I believe it was on Friday, and Mm -hmm. said that he is, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, but basically a little frustrated. He's not getting the ball where he's used to getting it. He's not seeing it as much. He's basically turning into a stretch five. And also uh, kind of comically admitted his, his flaws as a shooter because he's only shooting about 29 30 percent from behind the arc and he you know at least he owned it so that was you know really kind of interesting to hear him speak up about how you know he was uh you know really um you know it in some ways you know i think he's worried about the fit and how everything is going to go now that was walked back a little bit on saturday it does doesn't seem to be the big deal but they're winning games that's obviously the most important thing but but con p touched on a little bit are you worried about Embiid's like role with butler on the team um i'm not worried about this team really i think it was the right move i think they are in the the top tier of the East, along with Celtics, Raptors, and Milwaukee. I think all those four are interchangeable. Um, I wouldn't be mad if anyone picked either of them as the number one team. But for me, a couple of things I've noticed. One, it's hard to integrate this big of a move um, right away. And even though the 76ers do struggle occasionally, they do have the best record since the trade. Um, They're 10-3. and And... It's come with two, I mean, last-second shots by Butler, so their net rating is ninth. They're not up there. But to to win this many games um, early on before you have a lot of time to integrate and understand each other and work off each other and learn the tendencies of your teammates, I think is great. I think it's only going to get better from here. Um, I'm a huge Jimmy Butler fan. I've remained a Jimmy Butler fan. He's still one of my favorite players in the league um the things he does he does really well and i think he respects uh his teammates for once um it seemed i mean i don't think that's a positive quality that he didn't like his teammates (laughs) in his past two locations i'm not trying to defend him there but he does like his teammates now it seems like and simmons and b these are guys that work really hard and everyone else on the team um but a couple things that are concerning off the bat that i think will improve they, their post spacing is not very good. Whenever Embiid gets the ball, Simmons is still in the dunker spot. Or, I mean, Wilson Chandler, I was against the Raptors. He cut to he cut to the rim twice on Embiid post-ups, just removing the spacing completely for Embiid. And then when Simmons is on the floor with Butler, who I think is a better catch-and-shoot guy than a create-his-own three-pointer, um, but... You, you got to space it out. And that's why I think Simmons and, and Embiid need to work to see how they fit more than integrating Butler because I think Butler is doing the little things really well. He's deferring to start. I mean, he has had his big games, but I don't think he's overstepping his bounds. I think he is trying to be a team player. At least that's what it seems like so far. So it's really the Embiid-Simmons combination along with Butler um, than it is integrating Butler and Embiid because I think Butler can fit in with either guy. You know, I'm glad you you said that about the Embiid Simmons because that's starting to come up a little bit. Is that a viable long term pairing that the 76ers, you know, 
can, can they make it work? And obviously they made the playoffs last year and they're, they're, you know, play having a you know really good season this year as well. So, so it obviously does work, but is it a, a championship level uh, combination? And I think, you know, for some of the things that you said, what makes it a little, you know, messy is because, you know, Embiid needs that space to work inside. And that he's not getting it all the time because it's because Simmons is kind of in there mucking things up a little. And I, I think as you play the better defensive teams, when you get into Boston and Toronto, what you're going to see is they're just going to do exactly what the Celtics did in the um, playoff series last year is they'll they'll guard Simmons without Horford. And Horford has the size to let Simmons get up that head of steam and still challenge him at the rim. So he'll just play a mile off him. And then that just junks everything up. My my concern, too, is whenever you have a a couple of ball dominant guys, like, like, like let's use the Rockets, for example. James Harden and Chris Paul, those guys are both ball-dominant guys, but they can both play off the ball and, and hit jump shots. So it's it's really kind of negated because if one's got it, the other guy's still you know fine and a useful player. In Philadelphia, when Simmons is off the ball, he's not always great. But one thing that has been positive is I think his cutting is getting better. And I think when you have Butler, who's a very good passer, that starts to add a you know previously kind of un unlocked uh, part of the offense has been opened up for for Philadelphia. I'm not too worried about them. I think there's going to be some bumps along the way. That's part of the reason why you make a trade like this in November so that you have all this time to get it together. Let's flip it over to the Minnesota Pete, side. Yeah, Real, real quick, yeah, I did want to say one thing that I just kind of thought of right now. I feel like they, they just need to get a little bit more creative with the offense. Yeah. Not that Brett I Brown agree. isn't doing a good job. I yeah. just think with, I mean, they have three players that on their own each can play at a top 10, 15 level, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen MB do it. We've seen Butler do it. I think Simmons has that potential, and he was he gets there in certain games, maybe certain stretches. Um, he needs to be more consistent. But why not? So look, spot up Simmons in the corner, spot him up. Literally let let Al Horford or whoever's guarding him come all the way off, double, and then give Embiid to the post, right? And then they're gonna double him. How about you kick it out to Simmons, have Embiid screen the guy who's dropping far off, have Simmons catch ahead of steam, use that screen, come down to the middle of the lane, and then kick it out or finish or do something. I think there's just things that you can try that are a little bit unorthodox. You don't want to spot up a non-shooter, right? But how about if he's gonna get ahead of steam and Ben Simmons is more dangerous with ahead of steam than almost anyone in the league? Give him a screen also for the guy that is right next to Embiid, kind of like a long distance dribble handoff um, a little bit. Just, I don't know, just try different things to where, just see what works because you're winning games anyway. You're probably going to be in the playoffs regardless. It doesn't really matter who you play because there are four teams uh, that are upper echelon in the East. So you're going to play one of them in the second round anyway. Um, I just think it's time to experiment a little bit and not get frustrated and try to let the players know that they might lose a couple of games because of the experimentation and it's okay and we're going to be fine long term it's just a mix of personality and on court um creativity that is required in this situation i think yeah no i'm glad you jumped in with that because i think they they are they're more of a very much a old school style right you know where it's a you know dump it into the post and then kind of play around that or you'll run pick and roll and you know kind of the 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 fundamental tenets of an NBA offense, which we all, you know, we all know you can recognize them even if you're not a regular watcher of the games. 
though those are all still there but then then with that pete what do you you're the sixers guy what do you think about that lack of creativity comment by con is that something you see as well i see it and the other thing i was going to add on to that is like joel Embiid. you know i, I mentioned it just a few minutes ago his comments you know not getting as many post-ups and, and where he's comfortable but a lot of times as i mentioned before at the end of games when he does get post-up opportunities he doesn't even look to to possibly even see if a guy's open on the perimeter or cutting to the basket. He just wants to bully his way in, and then it ends up, you know, if he doesn't draw the foul or score, obviously it's a turnover. And I think if he looked for some of those guys cutting, like Jimmy Butler's good at, at you know cutting and and knowing kind of you know where to hit, to pick his spots. So I think that's beneficial. JJ's a shooter from the perimeter. Um, so if he can kind of come around and, and get in Embiid's point of view, um, that would help Simmons cutting into the basket, Wilson Chandler, if he's out there cutting into the basket, or if you have Mascala as the, you know, stretch four, so to speak, that could help. I just think kind of getting, you know, Embiid in the mindset of, Hey, you always, you don't always have to take this team on your back and bully your way through one on three. And then with Simmons, he has got to finally show something of a jump shot from mid range, just to at least keep the the teams honest. Like, Hey, I can hit this. I may not take it a lot, but I can, you need to respect this, that I can shoot it. And he's just not looking to do that. He doesn't look to, to shoot. So if you're playing a Boston or a Toronto in, um, <clears throat> in the playoffs, they're going to shut this team down. And the Sixers, you know, fans are going to, it's going to go into uproar. Like, Oh, you know, we need to get rid of Ben Simmons or we need to figure out what we're going to do with Embiid. Like that's when the chaos is going to start coming unless, you know, you use this time to kind of create different looks in the offense, expand your game, because once it's March, April, it's too late. Yeah, I want to be careful with how I phrase this here because I'm not suggesting that they start throwing away a ton of games. But I think it's to what we were what you guys were mentioning is. If you drop a few games right now because you're trying and in, trying to get new things, trying to install things and trying to build different habits in your guys, that's okay because you're not – this is not the trust the process Sixers anymore. This is not the, hey, it's just building and, hey, we made the playoffs last year. That was nice, but it you know, wasn't necessarily the goal, but we're you know happy to be there. This is now a team where it is – it's winning time. And if that means you drop a couple games here in the regular season, maybe you drop down to the three or the four seed, that's not the end of the world because the goal is to be the best team you can be come, you know, late April, May in the playoffs. That's where you you know, really want to be kind of hitting your stride and, and playing great. So I th- think we're all on the same page with Philadelphia. You know, there's still still work to be done, but it's, you know, it's it's still obviously well worth the the risky gamble that they took. It's you know was was definitely the right move. So no you know uh, no concerns from from anybody any of us on that side of things. Um, move, moving over to the Minnesota side here, I know it is um it, it pained you Pete to see Covington and Sharch go because those were kind of two year guys from the trust the process days um, with them. But what do you what have you seen? Covington's easy, right? He, he's you know, he Tibbs loves him because he's a defender. He's you know playing all world defense and he's making a bunch of shots. You know, over there in Minnesota and you know doing his thing there. So I think he's the easy one. What have you seen more from Sharich uh, so far since he's been in Minnesota? Um, with Sarich, it's kind of been 
up and down. Like his minutes have fluctuated. He some you know kind of hovers around that twenty to twenty two minute um, per game mark, but he's still backing up Taj Gibson. So I think Tibbs is actually still trying to figure out how to integrate him. I don't know Sarge. I don't know if it's just fatigue, you know, from playing on the national team this this past summer still, or it's just he's in a mental funk. But he just doesn't look the same kind of aggressive, you know, Dario that, that he was last season. And I think that's why it was kind of easier for the Sixers to move on from him than maybe it would have been this time last year. And with him, I, I mean, his numbers, you know, as far as, you know, from the field are up. But it's just, it seems like he goes in and out of these funks where Tibbs is like, hey, I know what Taj Gibson can bring. I can trust him a little bit more. And then with Covington, you know you're going to get good defense. With Sarich, it's kind of hit or miss. You know, he's not the greatest defender. So if he's not able to stretch the floor and get you shots that way, kind of like Bialica, um did for them last year, that's kind of the role that, that um, Sarich is thrown into. And I don't know long-term that that's going to be, well, we don't even know if Thibodeau is going to be there next year, depending on how everything shakes out and all that stuff. But I don't know that Sarich is a piece that they maybe even look at long-term um, in Minnesota because they're not as enamored with him as the Sixers were um, when they drafted him. Yeah, you know, that's the, the kind of the thing you're looking at there is what what is the long-term term. Like as far as his minutes go, I mean, let, let's be, be honest, right? We all know he's not going to play a lot because it's he's coming off the bench in Minnesota. Come right. off the bench for Tibbs, you, you don't play a lot. That's just right. the, the reality of things. But it is uh, it is interesting. You know, he's been kind of this up-and-down player, you know, throughout his career. And he's one of those guys who I've always liked what he can do and thought, you know, he's – been better than a lot of people have given him credit for but but mm-hmm. i can definitely see you know kind of the points on you know uh, is he there com what do you think about those two guys in in with the uh bucks or uh, well, with the timberwolves rather yeah yeah so first of all i think covington is basically what jimmy butler would have became if jimmy butler focused on his three-point shot and not his footwork and getting to the rim ability um, because both are insane defenders. Um, when Jimmy Butler wasn't taking on the entire offensive workload for the Bulls and the Wolves before he was doing that, he was an insane defender. He still is an insane defender when he's fully engaged on that end. On that end, And making just highlight-level defensive plays, you don't see that a lot, and both Covington and Butler have that capability. And it goes to show that shot creation and getting your own shot gets you to star level over just knocking down open catch-and-shoot threes. Um, not saying that Covington could have gotten to where Butler did if he focused on other things. It's just an interesting kind of compare and contrast in their developments. Um, but Covington is exactly what uh, the Wolves need because they already have Wiggins and Towns, who are guys who need the balls in their who need the ball in their hands. They are good offensive players, and Covington knows that he's not the star player, knows that he's not going to be the go-to scorer. Um, so he can just focus on defending and. It doesn't have the ego or whatever that Jimmy has, so he can teach them and not be upset that they're not at his level because he's not at their level, right? So, um, and with Sarich, I like Sarich. I think, I think the Phil, I think the Sixers could actually use Sarich right now. It's the position of need for them, I would say. But um, I think Tibbs just needs to get out of this mold of. I'm not going to play my bench guys because I think Sarich can provide a lot of value, and I just think this. Getting two role players who know their role players and who and add depth as well. Uh, getting two for one, 
um, just is exactly what the Wolves needed. I mean, they look revitalized. Towns is an all NBA level talent. I mean, he's made the all NBA team. He's one of the best offensive big men that, I mean, we've ever seen really with his skill set. So Wiggins, if he reaches it, but like Wiggins and Towns alone are a great duo if they both reach their ceilings. So adding two role players, solid role players around them is awesome. And then you also got D-Rose and all, everyone else on the team that's playing well. So I like I like the two guys for them. They they slot into roles that don't need high usage. And that's apparently what they needed and not a third star who needs the ball in his hands a lot. Yeah, I'd like to see I'd like to see them play Sarge um, matchups against there's there's matchups where he's a better fit than Taj Gibson. And I'm not necessarily saying you start him, but I'd like to see him play more in those games. Um, He's just he's such a sneaky, good offensive rebounder. And I think he's the kind of guy, if he's not getting consistent minutes, I really worry about his shot. So I don't know if his shot will come around unless they really get him kind of moving in that direction. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, where this goes from there. But it's, you know, I think think we all like to trade trade for both sides. It was one that definitely, you know, made sense, had to happen from the Minnesota side. And good on Philly for saying, you know what, let's go in and get this done. So moving away from trades for a minute to get into some of the things that this show is really built on the foundation a couple more under the radar moves here the houston rockets did some maneuvering with their two-way contracts and uh their their final roster spot they had brought in daniel house as they were down bodies they just needed anybody to come in house is a guy they're familiar with for through their um the nba g league team he came in and signed a you know i i like to call these pseudo 10 days because 10 days aren't allowed yet. So what you do is you sign the guy to a, a standard contract that's non-guaranteed. And then you waive him after 10 days. Um, so which is, you know, I'm going to soapbox for just a second here. If we're going to allow this, just allow 10 days then right from the beginning. It doesn't make a lot of sense to to play this stupid game. Um, like is there this a reason and, why they don't? Is there a reason why they don't? You know, I, th- I think it's because what they do, what, what the... Uh, players association doesn't want is teams only filling out roster spots with 10 day contracts yeah. um, right, right off the beginning of the season, um, you know, coming in with going two weeks with an empty roster spot, 10 day contract, and then go two more weeks. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the reason why, but I think with the advent of the two way deals and things like that, there's, there's, there's ways to work around that and allow it. So, but yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so what they did was they did that with house, then they waived him and then they converted Gary Clark who is a, who was previously on a two-way deal. He was a he's been really a rotation guy almost the entire season for the Rockets. So and as a reminder on when you're on a two-way contract, you can only spend 45 days up in the NBA. They did remove travel days from that that counter. This year, those no longer count. So things like Tyrone Wallace being left behind and then flying on his own Southwest Airlines flight to meet the Clippers for games somewhere else is that that stupidity has been removed, thankfully. And what we're seeing now is um, it's practice days and then game days. So Clark's 45 days were rapidly ticking down. Keith, yeah. quick question again with that. Um, yeah, no, yeah. If let's say you fly a guy out in the morning and there's practice at night. Is that something the teams will try to take advantage of? Does that count as a travel day, a practice day? Because it probably gets fuzzy. Do you know the answer? Yeah, it would count as a practice day. Anytime they practice or play, it counts as a day. So if they flew them in in the morning and there was practice later that same day and the player was at it, yes. But what the teams do sometimes is the player 
doesn't take part in practice, and then they work out on their own after. Um, we've seen that as well, and then that kind of allows you to skirt the rules around okay. the um, practice days. So yeah, it's the the two way contracts need a lot of work. They're 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 a good thing and they're a good idea, but there there's a lot of work to still be done. And I think that's something we may see even addressed mid uh, CBA. Here, I don't know that that waits all the way to the next one, and we already saw the adjustment on the travel days made. Uh, not no longer counting just you know kind of on the fly right before the start of this season so so with Clark Clark signed a three-year deal so it's a uh, prorated minimum deal for the rest of this year and then the minimum uh, next year and the year after because it's a three-year contract the Rockets dipped into part of their remaining taxpayer mid-level exception uh, minimum contracts can only be signed for up to two years unless you use an exception or cap space so that's how they were able to get Clark for three years then it'll be restricted free agent after that and then because that opened up a two-way spot hey welcome back daniel house coming right into the two-way spot so little little uh, you know interesting roster maneuvering there for the uh for the houston rockets to really make sure they keep gary clark in the fold and don't lose him down the line or have to you know then start playing really you know crazy games uh for for the rockets so pete i know you've seen a little bit of these guys what do you think about mm-hmm. gary clark uh, with Clark, he's well, he's a favorite of Mike D'Antoni, so that's that's first and foremost. And and I think everybody obviously scrutinized the the Carmelo Anthony um, signing, and it just put fuel to the fire once Gary Clark kind of played ahead of him. And I think that with with Clark, he's in there more because they need some kind of defensive presence, even though they still don't have a defensive presence on this team. Um, Thought it'd be fixed with Jeff Bizdelic coming back um, into the fold as the assistant coach, you know, specializing in defense. But basically, you know, Clark and and House are kind of the same in some sense as far as the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, neither one shoots the three well. Neither one looks to shoot a lot, and they don't have to. Obviously, with you know elite players like Harden and Paul and and even Eric Gordon shooting threes. Um, you know, there, there's no need on offense. They're there to focus on the defensive end. Um, but I like, you know, Gary Clark is kind of a more of an in and out of the rotation guy. I don't know that on a championship caliber team like the Rockets, I want Gary Clark playing substantial, uh, a substantial role, you know, about averaging about 17 minutes a game. I don't know that's where I would want this. And I don't know that the Rockets necessarily may want that, you know, going forward either because I think they're going to make some moves to try to get something in there to kind of spruce up the team to get them back up in the standings before it's too late. But House is a guy that you can kind of throw in and out um, of the rotation as well just because of his his versatility on defense. And then um, he can cut to the basket, get you some rebounds and things like that. So both kind of play the um, the opposite of what Mike D'Antoni specializes in. So you know, maybe maybe they kind of stick in the rotation and, and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, you know, I think it's what's what you you hit on it there. If these guys are playing rotation minutes for you, you're not a title contender. Right. That's just the reality. They're they're just not good enough to do that. But right now for stopgap guys, that's fine. And I like the commitment to Clark. House has already had a couple years. He's in his third NBA season now. So we kind of are getting a sense of we we know what he is. He's also 25 years old already where Clark is he is um 
you know, just turned 24, but he's a rookie. So I think we're starting to figure out um, where we're at with with uh, with Clark. And I like that kind of commitment to the next few years to see, you know, what it is. And, and it's a fairly minor commitment as well. His contract's only half guaranteed for next year. So so they can can move on. And obviously, as you said, Pete, if Carmelo Anthony had panned out, neither one of these guys would matter. You know, much for the Rockets anyway. So then one more uh, two-way signing was Juwan Evans joining the Phoenix Suns. <clears throat> this is a case of Evans was with the Suns G League team and was, you know, with the Clippers all last season in his rookie year. And the Suns are, they need any point guard they can get. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, they, they released Isaiah Kanan and let him go. And then they... Devin Booker, the plan was just let Booker play kind of the James Harden from a couple of years ago role where he's a he's a two guard that's just going to do you know all the ball handling and all the shooting. And then, you know, he didn't he got hurt hamstring injury. He's out. So that really left uh, Elliot Kobo and DeAnthony Melton, two rookies as the only real point guards on the roster. I know I've had a couple of people say, well, what about Jamal Crawford? Jamal Crawford hasn't been a point guard in probably 10 years. Um, which is, you know, it's a kind of a testament to the fact that he's also in his 19th season mm-hmm. in the NBA that we can say that. But, you know, yeah, he can do some ball handling, but he's not a point guard. So so Evans comes in. He, he I don't know that he's played yet unless he played. Did they play last night? Um, I'm not not entirely sure. And I don't know if he's played, but he is. Uh, um, no, they did not play last night on Saturday night, so he has not played yet. But I would expect him to start getting some some minutes for the uh, Suns here going forward. So, so we don't need to spend a lot of time on that. We will touch on Evans and how he's played if he you know does start playing when we get in there. So, um, the next segment of the show would normally be injury updates. I think we touched on a lot of the big ones as we went through. Normally what we will do here is we will go through, and if there's been any injuries in the prior week, we'll we'll kind of go through those. Just a couple big ones to hit on. Um, the Celtics are dealing with Al Horford has continuing knee soreness. He did not play against the Bulls, and they're kind of spotting him rest again, that big picture in mind. Aaron Baines has an ankle injury, but it looks like he's close. We'll, we'll probably play in their next game on Monday. Chicago Bulls, Con, you guys got a couple reinforcements coming back pretty soon. Bobby Portis and Chris Dunn should return. They'll immediately be rotation players, and I think pretty big upgrades, at least Dunn. At the yep. point guard spot, right? Um, the the Cavs just a you know host of injuries. Clarkson, Hood, they're dealing with some stuff there. Uh, Jar Smith's out there; he's not going to play for Cleveland again. David Nwaba's had a knee injury. We talked about Henson and Love, Karis Lever for the Brooklyn Nets. Um, you know, really ugly injury, but you know, as fortunate as you could get. He's hoping to be back in February. Torian Prince is out at least probably a couple more weeks for the Atlanta Hawks. The Dallas Mavericks still know uh, Dirk has not played yet. Dennis Smith Jr. has been dealing with a wrist injury. In it, excuse me, in and out, and Maxi Kleber in and out. And then the Denver Nuggets, so let's spend a minute here. Gosh, this team is now the walking wounded. They have been without Isaiah Thomas all year, Michael Porter Jr. all year, Jared Vanderbilt all year. So those three guys all out, haven't seen them on the floor yet. Will Barton got hurt. Early in the season, I think it was in the first few days of the season. And now it looks like he's going to be back, hopefully within another week or two um, from a hip injury. But as he's out, now Gary Harris is out at least a couple more weeks. And then Paul Millsap on top of it with a broken toe. We're still waiting to find out for sure, but it sounds like he's going to be out sometime. So so the Nuggets, guy, hey, what, what do you do here if you're 
you're Denver. Just ride it out. There's no reason to make a panic trade, right, Con? No, I mean, this team is pretty deep, although you can only be so deep. I mean, with everyone that you just listed being out, they're they're needing to go to a lot of their third-string guys uh, for their backups. Um, and I'm, I wouldn't be worried about the Nuggets. Uh, it is the West, though, which is the main problem there. Um, the loss to the Hawks isn't a great look either uh, for them, even though they are hurt. Um, and I just, I mean, they just got to wait it out, uh, try to win as many games as they can, try to stay 500. They've built up a bunch of wins early on in the season. Um, and I mean, they're a solid team. They have the proof that they're a solid team. Uh, they just need to get healthy. So I'm not, I'm not worried about it. They just, they just need to be patient and grind it out for the time being. Now's where you look at the guys like, um, Hernan Gomez, you know, who's mostly played, uh, you know, small forward this season. Is he going to slide up to the power forward spot? You know, Trey Lyles is there. Um, you know, he's going to have to show a little bit more Beasley, you know, but the shooting guard spot, um, I know Torrey Craig's been essentially starting, but he's in there for defense more than anything, you know, offense. So Beasley can kind of be that guy that brings in instant offense. And then Monte Morris has been fantastic this season. So, you know, I don't know that he can do any more than he's already done, but it's just going to kind of be a, you know, patchwork, um, you know, for the time being, but I wouldn't make any panic moves. Um, and then if they somehow, can get a guy, you know, going forward, integrated in, like say Michael Porter Jr. comes back, you know, where he's doing more and more ramping up workouts. I know he had a video where he was sh- shooting a ton of threes, um, getting in shooting work, but, you know, we'll see kind of how the Denver fares. But I, I am a little worried because, like Con, you just said, it is the West. If you start dropping four, five, six games, you you might, you know, be struggling pretty good. So. Yeah, to that point, Pete, right now in the West, it's uh, Denver is in third place half game behind the Warriors, but they're only three and a half games from being completely out of the playoffs. So, right. you know, the West is, you know, is a, you know, we could probably say it once, but we'll say it a million times. The West is ridiculous and it is so deep. And also in the West, you've got teams like Utah, Houston, New Orleans. Those teams are all out of the playoffs right now, but I think everybody's expecting they're eventually going to make a run. And, you know, that's, that's yeah, for Denver, this eventually you hit a point of no return with injuries. And that's what worries me. I don't think we're there with the Nuggets because, as Khan mentioned, they've got really great depth. And I think they've done a good job building that depth up. It's just going to be a challenge. I'm interested to see if a guy like Tyler Lydon can give him anything now. Mm. You know, there, there's probably some minutes there, I'm guessing, if Millsap is out. So you'll be curious. I, I'm, I'm going to guess he can't. I, I don't, you know. He can shoot the three, but I don't know that he gives him really anything that Hernan Gomez yeah, I, I think it's probably more of if Lyles moves in and becomes a starter. Yeah, you're uh, right. Well, Millsap is out. Maybe Lydon can play the Lyles role a little, but but we'll see. And then, you know, I'm glad you touched on Michael Porter Jr. Because adding that guy is going to be like just picking up a, you know, terrific draft pick. I also would expect the Nuggets already have one injury exception player, Brandon Goodwin. They're allowed to add an 18th roster player when they picked him up. I would not be surprised at all if they petitioned for another spot to add another 
other guy because at some point you just need bodies um, right. so you can uh, get through practices and games. All right, moving on, the Detroit Pistons, Stanley Johnson, Reggie Bullock, those guys kind of day-to-day, knee for Johnson, ankle for Bullock, and then Ish Smith is out indefinitely with a groin. The Pistons, thankfully, they've got all kinds of guard options. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world that Bullock and Johnson are out because I think that frees up more time for Bruce Brown and Luke Kennard. I think those two guys are good players that need need some minutes. So I think that helps. Golden State Warriors, Damian Jones, I'm going to guess probably the season for mm-hmm. him with that torn pectoral. But uh, Draymond Green should be back anytime now. Looks like he, you know, is really kind of pushing to play. So I'd expect to see him pretty soon. And then DeMarcus Cousins, sounds like it's, uh, you know, kind of we're getting close now. We're, we're probably within a month of seeing DeMarcus Cousins. I'm going to guess right after Christmas, maybe early January. It sounds like he's really ramping up his activity for the Warriors. Rockets, it's, you know, Brandon Knight is, uh, went down to the G League to, to practice some down there. So, so hopefully he'll be back, um, here within the next little bit. He could actually, I think, help the Rockets, um, as a backup guard. They, they just don't have much behind Paul and Harden and, and Eric Gordon. So I think he could really help them. Victor Oladipo out indefinitely, but I do want to shout out the Pacers, man. They're, they're just playing good ball. Uh, lately, they beat the Magic and the Kings in back-to-back games, and really, you know, looking pretty solid. Um, you know, as a team, again, another team that's really built some quality depth. A team that has crazy depth, the Los Angeles Clippers. They're still without Luke Richard and Bamute, but everybody else is available. There, they're looking pretty good. Lakers, Brandon Ingram. This was a fairly recent thing with an ankle injury. I know he's missed the last, I think, two games. Um, so we'll see what happens with him. Rajon Rondo should be back at some point here in the next little bit off the broken hand. It was not broken when he punched Chris Paul, but broken shortly thereafter. Uh, the, the Memphis Grizzlies, Dylan Brooks is out for at least another few weeks. Chandler Parsons, the, the, who knows, um, you know, when, if we'll ever see, you know, I think the Grizzlies kind of in some ways would like to see him never play again. And then they could get that contract off the books via the injury exclusion. But we'll see the Miami Heat. They're just the walking wounded. They're beat up and banged up on um, there. So so we'll see. And then go, going on down the list, the other big, big ones are around the NBA right now. Andre Robertson, he had a setback for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Um, we'll see if when he gets back still no no return to play plan for Chris Stapps Porzingis we may not see him at all this year Markel Fultz I, I don't want to spend any time on it but you know f- figure it out get get the head and shoulder right there young fellow and get back De- Devin Booker down um indefinitely the Suns aren't going to push him back as their season has completely gone off the rails San Antonio Spurs they got Derek White back uh fairly recently sounds like Lonnie Walker may be available to make his debut fairly soon and then the uh Paul Gasol he Paul Gasol is still out for the you know foreseeable future with a foot injury the Toronto Raptors still down Norman Powell, but they've got so much depth that it hasn't really impacted them at all. And then the Washington Wizards, Dwight Howard is out, and who knows when we'll see him back and if he even comes back this year to play for the Wizards. I think a lot of that depends on where their season is. So we had promised we would do an Atlantic division, uh, you know, kind of run through here, but we're already at the hour mark, and that's it's not going to be normal because normally we're not going to have three trades to talk through. Um, and let's just trade 
trade deadline and around the trade deadline, we'll do a special one-off show where we talk any trades that happen there. If there are big trades as well, we will come to you outside of our scheduled uh, you know, time here recording Sunday mornings for at least Sunday or Monday. Um, we'll, we'll come to you with a special show outside of those. So we're, we're going to skip the Atlantic division. So we're going to go with, go right into the next segment would be listener questions. We don't have any this week. So this is our kind of plea. Send us questions. You can send them to us via Twitter to our Twitter, the show Twitter at front office show, or you can send them to, to me at Keith Smith, NBA, or, or either one of the guys, Connor, Pete, um, they'll, they'll give their Twitter handles as we close out the show. So you can send them to us any number of ways, and then we will be be ready to go there. And we're going to go into closing thoughts. And, Con, I'm going to go to you first because I know you have closing thoughts on Fred Hoiberg. So let's hear him. Yeah, so I'll take like three to five minutes here for this <laughs> Yeah, I think you and I can go check out, go run to the bathroom if you need to. But, We're just going to wind Con up and let him go. There All right. Go. So this isn't going to be just ranting about Garpacks and how I hate them and how they need to be fired. And because you see a lot of that on Twitter, um, I don't agree with that extreme. I also don't agree with some people who somehow still defend Garpacks um, and say that, oh, they got us Rose and they got us Dang, Taj, Noah, and they got us to contending. Now they have Lowry and Wendell and Levine are looking good. And then they're average, right? I think they're maybe slightly below average in, in my opinion i'm not a defender but I, they're, they're not one of the worst front offices in the league but they've been at it for 16 years and if you're not above average for 16 it, it's time to get someone else to try it out because you've had your run i think um they've had their run they've been successful at times unsuccessful at times that's normal uh they don't need to be grilled for it they also shouldn't have job security more than anyone else in the league apparently um so that's my thought on Garpacks overall. Also, they make a lot of bad moves and they make a lot of good moves, except the good moves they make always have some sort of negative energy around them. The Jimmy trade, I mean, it, people killed them for it at the time. Uh, drafting Lowry even was like, oh, they didn't even have him work out for them. They lucked into this guy. Um, they promised Hutchison a month before the draft. And then now the Hoiberg firing, which is the topic here. The Hoiberg, I think, I think this was the correct move. Not because Hoiberg is an awful coach, but I think it's because Hoiberg isn't a value-added coach or not a championship-level coach, or at least he hasn't shown it. And each year, he he had some bad moments, right? But every time he had a bad season or there were some problems around the team, there was always a pretty solid and logical excuse for Hoiberg. For example, the first year he came in, immediately bad communication with the team, said Noah volunteered to go to the bench and Noah came out denied it immediately didn't integrate power correctly we see how effective he's been the past couple seasons with San Antonio they missed the playoffs entirely with contending expectations too whether or not those expectations were realistic they were there um the reason there was it was the last legs of the Tibbs Rose contending team uh Butler and Rose maybe didn't get along Noah's crazy decline the team didn't fit his style all right next season Butler Wade Rondo Again, not very good with what Fred's system should be. And even that, they were up 2-0 on the Celtics, which was a great sign for Hoiberg. They were playing really well. Um, but the other positive of that season was sixth in defensive efficiency. That was basically all Jim Boylan. Um, the reason, again, I, I mentioned them, didn't fit his style of team and whatever. That's kind of when I was like, okay, maybe Jim Boylan should be given a shot because 
Hoiberg also couldn't manage the personalities of Rondo and Butler and Wade. That proved to be tough because Butler, again, we saw what happened this year, right? Then we got last year, which is genuinely like a really tough evaluation year for any coach. And if anything, it was positive for for Hoiberg because they had that 10-2 and two stretch in December um, where Miritich came back. They were like atop the league in record and net rating for a good like 10-game stretch there. Um, but after that, they traded Miritich. They were tanking. Winning was literally not a good thing. So Hoiberg, I mean, you can't really judge a coach off that. So then this year, you got the talent. You got the young guys. It was like, all right, this is the year. Hoiberg should be successful, and this is the year we can actually evaluate him. But you got four of your top six to seven guys hurt. Um, Denzel Valentine probably out for the season. But then you got Lowry, Portis, and Dunn all out. Dunn probably the most crucial because of the lack of point guard depth. Um, but they just, I did agree with the comments of lack of energy, um, lack of spirit. And you're in the locker room. You see, you saw everyone. I mean, if you didn't check it out, Lowry's comments after being asked, did Hoiberg lose the locker room? Lowry just couldn't even speak, basically. Um, so that was clearly not a good thing. I mean, that 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 showed me that he did lose the locker room. And if that's the case, you don't really want to continue with that coach. Very unlucky, very unfortunate situation for for Hoiberg because I do think he's a solid coach. I do think he's really smart, just really tough um, situation. And now he got fired. Jim Boylan came on right as all his players are coming back. Um, and real quick, the Jim Boylan thoughts, and then I'll and, I, and then I'll close out. He's one and two so far. He had that awful, awful loss yesterday. The historically bad, embarrassing loss, right? But the two games before that were two of the best games the Bulls have had. Yeah, they lost to the Pacers, but they legitimately were very good on defense. Um, the offensive struggles are continuing, but it was a solid game. You saw good performances by Wendell and Lowry and everyone on the team, and that was a good start first game for Boylan. OKC game, best game of the season. They won at the last minute. The defense wasn't as crisp, but the offense was flowing, was fluid. Uh, Zach and Levine were, I mean, Zach and Lowry were great. Um, and then you got yesterday's game, which, I mean, can, I, it, it was awful. But you got to put that in, in the back, right? You can't be thinking of that. You got to look at, okay, we're one and two. We had two great games. We had one awful game. Now it's 0-0 the next game. You're not losing. You're not winning. Boylan seems to be old-minded, old-school, but... I think he has more of a player's coach mentality to him off the court and out of his interviews. And we can see that from different interviews that we've had with Boylan. He has a personality. It's not exactly Tibbs. And that's kind of everything I wanted to say there. I'm interested to hear maybe if you guys have some thoughts. <laughs> Pete, you still there? I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Man, <John. laughs> Sorry, no, it's, I mean, it's been what, building up. It's been building up, building up a lot. That's what, that's what we needed, though, because I think that, like, kind of like you said, like, I think Bulls fans are mixed. It's either, you know, hey, we're behind, you know, Garpax, or we're not. And I, I do think, you know, going with what you said with Hoiberg, I like him as a coach. I just think he's more suited for the college game than maybe the NBA personalities. Um, I think he can kind of, you know, play his system, obviously, you know, better in college, reach the younger guys, kind of teach them more. And I think that, you know, with personalities like Jimmy Butler, Dwayne Wade, you know, guys like that, it was a little hard on Hoiberg to to stress authority. And then um, with with Jim Boylan, I think he's obviously, you know, been around the NBA a long time, you know, successful. I just don't know where that, you know, system of let's slow it down 
uh, play a more methodical game. I don't know how that's going to play out long term for them. And I don't want to see, you know, uh, Garpax kind of drag that out like for another season and a half if it's not working by the end of this season. I don't know. It could work, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm not sure I understand the idea of not just making him an interim coach that that didn't make a lot of sense to me so it's just you know one of those things i I guess they want some stability but you know you you don't have stability with the roster yet so i I don't know i I don't really understand what we're doing mostly i like seeing con so animated you're usually so So laid back man (laughs) you're uh you're fired up and ready to go here that's uh man we you are wound up for a sunday morning you are ready to get after it now for the rest of the day it's uh, always you know I don't know if you've got a you know farmers market with the fiance or uh, you know football or whatever, but man, Khan is ready. Put put this guy to work. So yeah, it's it was the right move. You know, Hoiberg. I will say one thing, Pete. I think he might be right. He might be better suited for college, but he's not going back to college. He hated recruiting. Yeah. He, you know, on the record said it, it that he does not want to be a recruiter so he is a uh, you know he's going to stick around the NBA there's you know a lot of people are already assuming he's the next coach of the Timberwolves so you know we'll we'll see where that one goes uh with that you know and tell to me how that all falls out if Tibbs makes it or not but if Tibbs keeps this team you know playing the way they are and gets them in in the playoffs i think it might be a uh all right hey let's put it all behind us and move this thing forward plus Glenn Taylor doesn't want to pay him not to coach with that so all right pete let's go to your closing thought for the show yeah no problem i i wanted to give con the most time so i'm going to keep mine short and sweet um because i i you know know we're running short on time here but um looking at december 15th which is saturday opens up a lot of opportunity for teams to have more available players to look at so teams that are struggling like washington houston teams that are looking for you know shooters like uh new orleans those teams you could see kind of maybe active in the next two weeks, especially. Um, I think Houston really, really needs it now. Like the panic button should be like smashed all the way through at this point. I don't, I don't think it's a, hey, we're going to, we started slow, we can fix it. Um, Washington, I think because they're in the East, you know, they have a little bit, maybe time to figure it out, but I do think that they need to move off of, I don't think they can get Wall out of there. Too expensive. But I think Porter may be um, the one that they end up moving. Um, you know, so that could come probably more at the trade deadline, but you know, maybe sooner if um, you know they they keep losing. But I would keep an eye on you know maybe a move or two uh, being made uh, by you know maybe Sunday or or even early next week. Um, you know, going into you know to where the availability of different players are. Yeah, so and the reason for that is players you signed over the summer you can trade on December fifteenth. So you can't can't trade them before then. So that that's what opens up now. This is what uh, most teams around the NBA call the early trade window. This goes from December to about uh, the beginning or of uh, beginning to middle of January, and then after that you're considered to really be in the trade deadline. Trade deadline earlier this year than usual. It's in early February on the seventh because it's uh, pushed up ahead of the uh, NBA All-Star game this year. So I, I don't think they want a DeMarcus Cousins situation where somebody gets traded uh, midway through. So so that that's a little earlier. For me, what I'm looking forward to this week is seeing the Toronto Raptors finally leave Canada and head out on the road. They, they've played a pretty, um, to, to this point, a fairly home-heavy schedule. They, then they're headed out um, on a road trip here. They're, they're, they actually 
have one more home game. This is tonight, so you'll hear this after they've already played, but they're playing the Milwaukee Bucks tonight. That should be a fun one. But then games against the Clippers and the Warriors and the uh, Portland Trailblazers. So, you know, real tests coming here for the Raptors in the next week. So that should be, you know, good to see what they can do. If they're there for real, they'll go out there and they'll, you know, at least get some some work done, you know, on the road. It's uh for, for the full West Coast swing, it's Clippers, Warriors, Trailblazers, and Nuggets. So there's not an easy one in the bunch for the Raptors. And those are that that's sandwiched right in the middle of games against Milwaukee and Indiana, a couple of playoff teams mm-hmm. in the East. So so tough stretch coming here for Toronto. I think we're gonna find out a lot about just how good they are. Is this twenty one and six star for real, or are they, you know, going to kind of slide back a little and, you know, come a little closer back to the pack in the, uh, in the Eastern conference. So, so guys, we want to thank you so much for joining us here on the relaunch episode of NBA front office show. Uh, we are so excited. We partnered up with CLNS media to bring the show back to you. This is, you know, something we've been looking forward to uh, getting back on the air here for at least the last few weeks as we were, you know, discussing things and putting it all together. So we're, we're really excited. We did not get to the Atlantic division uh, rundown this week. We promise that we'll be in the next show because I am going to guess we don't have uh, three trades to, to go through and discuss and talk about and probably not a you know handful of signings either. So we will, you know, definitely get into those Atlantic division teams and, you know, good chance to watch those raptors on this west coast trip and really get a better understanding of them so so pete tell everybody where they can find you on twitter social media all that good stuff uh you can find me on twitter at pete toll mba so it's p-e-t-e-t-o-a-l-m-b-a um always have a wide variety of topics that i try to talk about and stuff um i don't really do as much of the in-game kind of you know live tweeting as i used to just because now i um officially have a a two-year-old and he's all over the place and touches everything and the remote included. And so, um, you know, just try to keep him out of everything while I'm trying to concentrate on games, but always willing to talk NBA among, you know, some other topics as well, but you know, just hit me up and you know, I'll be there. Absolutely. Con, you calm down enough. I'm, to, to I'm ready everybody? to go, Keith. I'm all always right, ready to go. go. <laughs> um, all right, Con, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah. So you can find me on Twitter at iconic spelled with my name, I K A A. NIC. Um, and you can also follow at the Benchmob NBA for the podcast that I host, the Benchmob NBA podcast. Uh, we we just had Nate Duncan on this past week. We do a lot of trade deadline, mock trade deadline type stuff. We went through the Sixers last week. Uh, you can find our Nets Mobs trade deadline episode out tomorrow, actually. Um, we do a lot of stuff there. And I post trades of the day on Twitter that you guys can all vote on um, and post different analytics charts and just all over the place kind of uh right now so uh yeah just hit me up i'm always willing to talk to and you can find me on twitter at keith smith nba k-e-i-t-h-s-m-i-t-h-n-b-a i am uh, more active than some people probably like on twitter but i am uh, all over there talking about it yeah, really all things nba you can find my NBA coverage at Yahoo Sports as well as at Real GM and then Celtics-specific coverage for Celtics blog. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for hanging in there with us and your support for the NBA Front Office Show. We will talk to you next time.
up over here and drop a line. Are your feet wet? My feet are wet. Here's the drain plug. You put the plug in the drain, right? Ah, it's on the dock. There's a reason they say curse like a sailor. Ah, Many reasons. Progressive's boat insurance has you covered. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. And now, an ad from Dad. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Yeah. Tell you another way to save money. Don't buy those uh, expensive coffees every morning, you know. Then you can save up for a, I don't know, really nice dress shirt. I'm just saying. It's great that you feel comfortable here at work, but, you know, an adult could walk in. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.